Welcome to the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast, your weekly look into the world of Royal Caribbean Cruising. I'm your host, Matt Hotchberg, and this is episode number 474. How much of an issue is it if you go from a big Royal Caribbean cruise ship to a smaller one? Today, I wanted to talk about this because it comes up quite a bit. Here we go. Now, as you all probably already know, I get a lot of the same questions over and over again, and I really don't mind that because I know the answer. But on today's episode, I wanted to talk about a question I get a lot, not like it's not necessarily in the top 10, but definitely a question I get a lot from people who are new to Royal Caribbean. Not that they haven't gone before, but they've gone on a cruise or two, and now they're thinking about going on a smaller ship. Typically, a lot of new people to Royal Caribbean or people that are just new to cruising in general start off on big ships. In fact, when people ask me what is the best ship to go on if you're brand new to cruising, I always tell them seven-night cruise on an Oasis or Quantum-class ship. I think it's the best of what Royal Caribbean has to offer. There's a good mix of sea days and port days, and it's just a it's a good option because you don't know what you don't know, and you don't yet have a sense of what cruising is about. So why not go on a ship that offers the most a good length of an itinerary, right? Seven nights, you're not on and off the ship in two seconds, or it feels that way on a three-night cruise, and you're not there for, you know, two weeks, which I think would be too long if you're on a longer sail. Anyway, so by my own advice, I tell people to go on an Oasis or Quantum-class ship, which is, uh, or are rather, the biggest cruise ships in the world. So what is it like if you're going on a smaller ship? And this is a major concern, especially among families, people that have kids who are definitely younger than 18 who are going on a cruise because they really have a concern, an issue that they may be simply bored or the kids are going to be bored. There won't be enough to do. They'll realize it's a giant mistake. And so today I wanted to talk about what you should know about going on a cruise that is, well, you know, uh, smaller than you've been on. Now, number one, we have to define what smaller is because even the smallest Royal Caribbean cruise ship is still a big cruise ship that's out there. In the grand scheme of cruise ships, Royal Caribbean ships are all in the pretty big category. It's smaller ships, you know, come in with a capacity of, uh, you know, maybe just under 2,000 passengers, or right around 2,000 passengers. I don't know if there are any, the Vision class or the smallest ones is what we're talking about here. Um, so that's still a big ship. We're not talking about a 500 passenger or a 1,000 passenger capacity. And if we were having this conversation with somebody who is used to cruising on, you know, a smaller line, smaller ships, you know, Silver Sea, now granted that's a premium line, but let's forget that for a second, you know, they would think a 2,000 passenger ship is quite large. So everything's relative, right? And then there are people who, you know, consider Voyager class ships small, which is like, okay, well, relatively speaking, yes, but, you know, they still hold about, you know, a little under 4,000 passengers. That's not nothing. So it depends on your definition of what you're going to. So I think that's off the bat. So let's, First of all, talk about, you know, will you have a bad time or should you be concerned about going on a smaller ship? The answer is absolutely not. I really believe that you can have a great time on any Royal Caribbean cruise ship. I think a cruise is what you make of it. And I think that the fact that a ship is smaller slash older or small, smaller and older, irrelevant. Um, you make it what you're looking for. What the big ships offer are a plethora, an overwhelming in a good way, amount of things to do on a cruise ship. What I mean by that is that allows you to have a lot of choices, right? You'll have a choice of, you know, many restaurants for dinner. You'll have a choice of many activities during the daytime. You'll have a choice of multiple shows at night. When you go on a smaller ship, and again, relatively speaking, this could be different, uh, you're going to have less of a variety. That isn't to say there isn't a show. That isn't to say there aren't specialty restaurants. That isn't to say there aren't activities during the daytime. They have all that. The difference is the variety. Now, I think the biggest point, and I talked about this earlier, was with children. And it allows, you know, what can kids do on board the ship? I think that without a shadow of a doubt, the lack of water slides, a flow rider, 
some of the other outdoor amenities really jumps out at a lot of people because, you know, they're not available on there. I would argue that even on a big Oasis class cruise ship, that's not like my, I mean, there probably are some children that spend all day at the water slides. I don't think that's really the case. I think most families spend, they'll go down the slide one or two times during their cruise, right? Maybe they'll do a, a sea day and go out to the pool and spend the whole day out there, right? And then maybe they get a couple rides in. But I think it's not correct to say that, you know, when kids are on an Oasis-class cruise ship that they spend all day just going down the water slides. Like I said, I'm sure there are some, but I really think those are in the minority. I think for most people, the water slides are something you do a couple times, but that's about it. Um, And and it's not the end-all, be-all of it. But again, this goes back to what I was talking about, the variety of things to do, right? The, 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 the choices that you have or don't have. And when you're on a smaller ship, I often characterize it as, well, you know, a classic cruising experience. What that really means is you wake up in the, on a sea day anyway, you wake up in the morning, you know, you go have breakfast in the Windjammer or wherever you go. And by the way, same options for breakfast on a small ship versus a large ship, Windjammer, main dining room, you get it. And then you will go to, you know, do something else. Usually most people go to the pool deck, right? Find a seat by the pool, spend some time out there relaxing. You know, for kids, that might be, again, depending on the ship you're going to, they might spend time at the pool as well. Um, the nice thing is the Voyager class ships, uh, some of them have Splash Away Bay that you can go to. Others, maybe just a kiddie pool, but there are some options for them there. Um, and then you're really just, you know, spending the, their activities during the daytime. By the way, Adventure Ocean is open and kids can go there just like they can on the big ship during the daytime. And there are activities for them to do. There's activities for families to do, whether it is bingo, whether it is trivia, or any of the things you see in the cruise compass. In fact, that's a really good tip off the bat. If you're worried about it, I think to put it in perspective, number one, read a past cruise compass. Go find a cruise compass from Enchantment of the Seas, from Radiance of the Seas, and see what there is to do on board. I think that gives the proper perspective of what you can expect. Um, Ultimately, the, the the onus falls on you to figure out what you want to do. I mean, you can go on a Oasis class cruise ship and do everything that you would do on a smaller ship, right? You can go up, wake up in the morning, go have breakfast, go to the pool, deck, spend all day over there, come back, shower, go to dinner, and go see a show. That's kind of what you can do on a smaller ship as well. The difference is, of course, is that you have more variety there. And um, I, I totally get it, you know, that kids do like the variety. I mean, my kids will ask, you know, oh, is the ship we're going on next? Does it have bumper cars? Does it have water slides? Does it have uh, a splash zone? Is there a pool for us? You know, things like that. It's not the end-all, be-all that makes it interesting. And I'd also point out that when you're on a smaller ship, perhaps the itinerary is of interest, right? If you're going to Alaska on a Radiance-class ship, if you're on a Vision-class ship and you are going, doing the Adriatic Sea and going to some ports, in fact, a lot of times it's very port-intensive itineraries on smaller ships because those smaller ships can get into smaller ports, the reliance on the ship is far less compared to an Oasis-class ship in the Caribbean, which you have, gosh, three sea days possibly, right? I think in today's world of cruising, the things you'll notice most, and I think will, I don't say impact, but possibly have more of a uh, impact on what you're doing and your choices you make for your cruise planning, is going to come in a couple places. One, especially dining. You know, on older ships, there only may be, you know, two or three, especially restaurants on board the ship. In fact, some of the Vision class ships only have, you know, one or two. So that's a difference not the end of the world. I, I insert here comment from some guy who's been cruising for decades in which back in the day there were only one or two specialty restaurants and you still had a great time on board. I remember going on Freedom of the Seas and when Freedom, before Amplification, this was like back in 
I don't know, 2013, 2014, something like that. And it had two specialty red. Well, it was really three Johnny Rockets. I don't really count that. But, you know, it had Portofino's and it had Chops Grill. And I was like, whoa, we're going on a ship with two? That's crazy, right? Anyway, things change. But the bottom line is specialty restaurants are definitely an area that you'll be like, oh, there's not nearly as much dining. In fact, the Radiance class, you know, for a small ship, have a fair amount on there. So, you know, it's not to say that you're definitely going to suffer on there. But compared to the Oasis and Quantum Blast ships, less choice. I think number two is the shows. There are no Broadway shows on older ships. There are still shows every day, and you'll find a variety of them. You know, the the big dance number shows, the marquee kind of shows you'll find on an older, smaller ship tend to be more of a musical cavalcade. There's not really a plot to them. It's just here's a song, and we're dancing to it, and then we're going to move on to the next song and dance to it, which is fine. Uh, but obviously – I, I think anybody would tell you that a Broadway show is going to be superior. It doesn't mean you can't enjoy those shows, but there are shows on there. And I remember sometimes going on some of these older ships or smaller ships, either or, and noticing that the the music that was selected may be of an older variety. But the thing that I really like about the older ships primarily are some of the lounges and bars that you can go to, especially the schooner bar. Like the, the smaller your ship, the better the schooner bar is. There's something like over the years, we're going to shrunk the schooner bar and um, if you go on a Vision or a Radiance class ship, I think the Skewer Bar is absolutely fantastic and a really nice spot. So there are some benefits to it, quite frankly, and this is true of other bars as well. It's just kind of a neater experience. It's just more laid back. I think that's – unless you're doing a really important test of itinerary. If you're doing a you know, seven-night cruise and you have six port calls, it's you're not going to feel relaxed necessarily with all that traveling. But even if you're doing a seven-night cruise in the Caribbean on a you know Brilliance of the Seas or something like that and you were looking at you know three sea days – you, know, you might say, well, are we going to be really bored on it? You'll be really relaxed on it. I mean, that is the one knock when you go on a big ship and you do all these kinds of things. You come back from the cruise, you kind of need a, you need a cruise from the cruise. You need a vacation from the vacation where you're kind of overwhelmed. You're just tired from, you know, burning the candle at both ends because there's so many cool things to do. You can still, by the way, do that on a <laughs> – I've done that on small ships too where you stay out too late and wake up too early and do all these things. That can still happen. But I feel like there's less so perhaps – of that case. Again, I, this is just anecdotal. I don't know if that's really always the case. But it's still a great time. You can have a fun time on it. So going back to what I was talking about earlier, a cruise is what you make of it. I really believe that if you go on there, you can have a terrible time on an Oasis-class ship just as much as a Vision-class ship. But it's what you make of it and what you basically plan to do and take advantage of. There are some really fun things to do on Vision and Radiance and Voyager-class ships. So don't look at them as... Oh, if we go on these ships, our kids are going to be bored to tears. We're going to, you know, by day two, we're going to regret going, not having not gone on, you know, one of the big ships. You might say, oh, boy, I do wish that we had, you know, this feature from the Oasis class or that feature from the Quantum class. I do that too. But that doesn't mean you're having a bad time. It just means it's different. And that can honestly be a great cruise experience for you. And once you love cruising, once you've done a couple of cruises, and I think, you know, two or three cruises – and, and you like it. You like that experience. You like that environment. I think a small ship is just a new way to enhance that and give you something a little bit different in the same way that, you know, if you go to a hotel, not all hotels are all the same, right? Sometimes they're more resort feely. Sometimes they're more of just like a, a room just to stay in. Um, there's, there's sprawling hotels. There are smaller hotels. There are high service hotels, right? All sorts. So in a similar vein, a smaller cruise ship could still be a great time for you. Alrighty, let's answer some listener emails. This is the part of the episode where I answer the emails you've sent in. If you want to send me an email, you can do so by sending it to matt at realcomingblog.com. Matt, M-A-T-T, 
at royalcaribbeanblog.com. First email is from Alan. Hey, Matt. Enjoy the podcast, blog, and learning everything about Royal Caribbean and cruising all together. My question is my wife and I would like to go on a cruise at some point in the near future. Neither of us have been on a cruise before. I know you always recommend a seven-night cruise on either a Quantum or Oasis class ship. Since we're budget conscious, we're concerned that these two class ships would hurt with our budget. Taking into consideration, we'd have to fly to the port. What would you recommend for first for two first-time budget conscious cruisers? Thanks for all you do. Alan, great question. So I would say, number one, it's more important for you to do a seven-night cruise than it is important which ship you're on. So I would put that out there, number one. So if there's a seven-night cruise on a Voyager-class ship, a Freedom-class ship, great. Um, I, I also think that you can find value in the Quantum or Oasis class, especially on ships like Allure of the Seas, Oasis of the Seas, Anthem of the Seas. You can find decent deals. I don't know where you live, Alan, because, of course, you know if you lived in the Northeast United States, you could possibly go on Anthem of the Seas out of New York and be able not to drive and not fly. That would be huge, obviously. Time of year is really most important as well. You know, you're going to pay more for a cruise over the summer than you will in the month of January or September. Um, there's a, the, the bottom line is you can find good deals and, and budget choices if you're willing to go on a cruise during certain times of the year in which a lot of families can't go on a cruise. So we're talking about January, first week's February. Most of May is pretty cheap. The month of September, the month of October, and the first two weeks of November and December. I think actually if I were to rank them, the first two weeks of December, the month of January, and the month of September are probably, even in that order possibly, the cheapest times of the year to go on a cruise. I mean, there's just, if you play your cards right, you can really find some bargain basement deals on cruises. And then you can find deals during the other time of the year as well. It's just more of a, you know, there's a little bit of element of luck there involved. But, um, you know, maybe you, you maybe you wait for more of a last minute deal on something I generally recommend. But you can play the pricing game a little bit. So don't assume necessarily, if we're talking Quantum or Oasis, that I'm saying you should go on Wonder of the Seas or Odyssey of the Seas, which are wonderful ships, but they're also the newer ships in the fleet, so that's going to cost you extra. And by going on an Oasis, or Allure especially, Allure is so inexpensive because uh, she is not only an older Oasis-class ship, but also she wasn't amplified, so that brings her price point down. Um, you know, Anthem of the Seas is just, she's just not as new as some of the other ships that are out there, like, again, Odyssey of the Seas. So, um, you might get a little bit better of a deal, and if you don't have to fly, then you're really going to save some money there. But if you are flying to Florida, no matter what, or Galveston, Texas, I would say, then, you know, certainly Allure Harmony is actually priced pretty well these days. Um, you might get a good deal on it. It really comes down to more so the time of year than even the ship. So, I think you can find deals that are out there. But, if you're looking for one of the best valleys out there right now that's not any of those two would definitely be like uh, sailing on Mariner of the Seas. I love Mariner. And you can usually find them doing like five or eight night sailings, which are, you know, certainly sufficient for your first time. I mean, I would lean towards the eight nighter versus the five nighter, but hey, you'll still have a great time on both sailing. So it wouldn't be too bad of an idea. And hopefully this answers your question. Uh, I, I and, and it's just funny that I did not plan this, but your email quoted my advice that I gave earlier in this episode. So just proof that, well, number one, someone's listening to what I'm saying. <laughs> number two, I'm not making it up as I go. Uh, next email is from uh, Nate Allison. Firstly, thanks for all the content you put out there. I've listened to hundreds of podcasts and videos in preparation for our honeymoon cruise. This was happening in 2019 on Oasis, but was canceled due to a crane accident and then our very next attempt during the pandemic. Plus two more COVID cancellations after that. Yikes. We're getting ready to go on Harmony for our three-and-a-half-year late honeymoon, and I was able to book the key for $19.99 per day. That came out to about $100 over the total uh, of the price for internet on board and $50 over 
for the lesser internet on board. Now, not sure how many of other benefits we utilize, but the one that we like to keep with us is the would be the uh, chops launch when we board the ship. My one big hesitation is that since we've been We've had so long to build up anticipation for this vacation. We don't know if we want to sit down for a meal first thing in the afternoon. I feel like we'll just want to get straight up and exploring the ship. On the other hand, maybe sitting down to eat will give us a chance to pause and perhaps book shows. The chops lunch might be our only specialty dining during the sailing. We're opting to stick to the main dining room, Windjammer, and other complimentary venues during our first ever cruise. And since we know that we'll take another cruise probably next year, we'll explore some specialty options next time. So knowing that this will be our only specialty experience for the sailing, is it worth it to keep the key at such a low price or save even a few more dollars and get whatever internet package we want? Any advice that you could give us would be appreciated. We're trying not to be so anxious and wanting to explore the whole ship as soon as we get on board, but our excitement of our first cruise makes that difficult thanks to the blog, podcast, YouTube channel. Nate, great email. Uh, number one, I don't have a high opinion of the key, so let's just put that out there. But I am leaning towards you saying canceling the key because of the one thing you said which is your first cruise and you're going to be too excited to sit down for a meal. Um, that is definitely the nature of the key meal. It's a sit down. It's a, okay, let's uh, take it easy now and, you know, get started. But if you're going to be sitting there and I can just imagine you sitting at the table there in the main dining room and like and your knees, you know, shaking like up and down, like you're just ready to go. You just want to get out there. I don't know that you'll be able to, you know, smell the roses, stop to smell the roses, so to speak. So I would say, I mean, yeah, I get it that you got a pretty good price for the key, and it's not that much more than the internet package. There are other benefits that come with it. Um, I think you either have to make your peace with the fact that when you get on board the ship, you're going to close your eyes, and the first hour or so that you're on board, you're going to be committing to sitting in the dining room, knowing that you'll still have plenty of time in the afternoon to get up to the pool deck or, you know, explore the ship, and you're going on Harmony, so I'm pretty sure you're going on a week-long cruise, so it's not like this is a three-night cruise in which every minute really counts. I mean, it all counts, but you know what I mean. You might say that would be worthwhile. So, uh, Nate, hopefully that answers your, your email there. Um, and uh, if you can make your peace with it, it's fine. But if you know yourself better than, like, if it was me, I know when I, if I was in your scenario, I would not be able to do that. I would just be miserable being like, oh, gosh, can we go yet? Can we? Yeah, it would constantly be in my head. That's, that's the kind of person I am. Other people may not feel that way. And so you got to kind of know thyself, as they say in Greek mythology. Uh, next email is from John, Shana, Braden, and Mackenzie Sutherland. Hey, my, my family and I returned, returned from our recent cruise on Harmony of the Seas. We're, we're looking for a vacation ideas. Came across your YouTube channel. I never considered cruising before. After watching some of the videos, you'll be convinced to uh, go give a try cruising. We booked our cruise with Charlotte from MEI Travel back in 2019. And for 2020, we were so excited to go, then the world shut down. We pushed it back a total of two times. And after almost three years our kids are were able to be vaccinated and we felt comfortable going in those three years i watched your videos and listened to your podcast every chance i got and needless to say by the time our embarkation day came our expectations were sky high however you failed in one way you had our expectations extremely high but not high enough captain johnny and the crew blew them out of the water all the crew was amazing from our stateroom attendant to the service staff i was blown away how happy and friendly everybody was. My kids love the towel animals and wanted to go to Adventure Ocean as soon as it opened for the next session. My wife and I were amazed how easy it was to have family time, but still have plenty of time for the two of us. And considering this was an anniversary trip for us as well as a family vacation, that was a big plus. The Aqua Theater show was amazing, and we even got to sit right behind Captain Johnny. 
My son thought it was amazing that when we got a picture with the captain. We had so much fun and can't wait to book our next adventure. Thanks for everything you do. We learned so much from your videos and the podcast, which helped us immensely. We'll be recommending them and real credit to everyone we know. Well, that's wonderful. I'm, I'm really glad to hear that, that you guys had an awesome time and it exceeded your expectations. And the crew member really, I mean, crew members are such an important X factor on any cruise. Um, you know, people treat you well in hotels and resorts and things of that nature on land. But I think there's something about being on a cruise in which it is taken to another level. And when you find the really good crew members, like you go to a restaurant or a bar or you have a stateroom attendant that is like, you know, one of the top ones, man, you feel like a celebrity. I mean, it really makes a difference there. So I'm so glad to hear that that was that worked out well for you because, um, yeah, and more cruises to come, even better. And our last email today is from Ralph. Hi, Matt. Just listened to your podcast review on Allure of the Seas, and I learned that there were different versions of Venture Ocean, the 1.0 and 2.0 that you mentioned. I actually went on my first Royal Caribbean cruise this year on Allure of the Seas, and we had a blast, especially my kids, 6 and 4, who loved Adventure Ocean. We're both on Harmony for next year for sailing over Eastern. I want to know, does Harmony have the updated Adventure Ocean, and what are the differences in Adventure Ocean you mentioned? A bonus question for you as well. Does Royal Caribbean do anything to celebrate Easter on board, Egghon, or anything special for the kids? Thanks for all you do. Love your posts and videos. Very informative. Ralph, thanks for the email. So Harmony does not have the updated Adventure Ocean. Uh, they began the program with Navigator and Oasis when they had their amplifications. So that started like right after Harmony and Symphony of the Seas debuted. So Harmony still has the old Adventure Ocean, if you will. Um, what are the differences? Well, there's a couple. Uh, one would be definitely the decor. It just is brighter with 2.0. They kind of revamped some of the, the look and feel of the place, certainly. Uh, number two, in 2.0, you get um, some more activities within Adventure Ocean beyond, like, you know, they always have, like, you know, video games and things like that, but they put these, like, interactive tables in there, um, updated video games, for that matter. Uh, there's different stations you can go to, arts and crafts, and they kind of just gave it a refresh with new additions and some extra technology as well. In addition... Adventure Ocean 1.0, um, which is what you're going to have, is more single-threaded, if that makes sense. Basically, kids get in there, and the staff will say, uh, and, and I think your kids already know this, you know, okay, kids, we're going to go do, uh, we're going to play Gaga Ball first, or we're going to go do an arts and crafts project first, right? It's, everybody kind of does the same thing, and there are exceptions, but that's generally how it goes. With 2.0, it's more like stations, and the kids can kind of do what they want. Meaning if they feel like doing arts and crafts, they can go do arts and crafts. If they want to play Gaga Ball, they can play Gaga Ball. If they want to go do, uh, you know, I don't know, whatever else they're doing in the court and the other reading, watching a movie, playing video games, they can do that as well. So it gives them a little more uh, free form, if it will. Now, your kids are six and four. And um, Aquanauts, even in 2.0, is still the old way. Aquanauts is, whether you're on New Adventure Ocean or Old Adventure Ocean, is still the old way of... Okay, kids, we're going to go do this now. We're going to read a book. We're going to play this. We're like, that's still the same. We're really talking about when you get to uh, explorers and voyagers. One other thing that's a big difference in 2.0, there's no more explorers and voyagers. They're combined. And the max age for Adventure Ocean in the new one goes down. I believe it's only to 11. And the teen club begins at 12 on the new one. But the old one, the teen club begins at. Uh, uh, 11 it's, or 12 excuse me it's honestly confusing myself as well but um you know just newer cooler things kind of like the difference between a, an amplified cruise ship and, and not but um you'll have a great time on harmony it's gonna be very similar to what you experience on alert and in terms of what they do celebrate easter if they actually 
your sale goes over the Easter holiday, like not close to it, but actually goes over it, yeah, there'll be special events, um, Easter egg hunts and um, maybe a you know, Easter bunny possibly. It depends on the ship and the sailing and a couple things, but they do activities on board, yeah, to celebrate it. So, And they may even have an Easter mass um, offering as well. It depends on the ship. Again, depends on who they can get, but uh, I've, I have seen that in the past as well. So, Ralph, thank you for the email. Thank you to everybody for checking out this episode of the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast. Don't forget you send me your emails by sending them to matt, M-A-T-T, at royalcaribbeanblog.com. Matt at royalcaribbeanblog.com. Until next time, I'm Matt Hotchberg. We'll talk again real soon.